0: Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events. That you are more than welcome to come join us live. This morning, as we continue our series on uh, the Kingdom of God. Um. What I, it's always interesting as a, as a pastor, a communicator, when you come across a topic that you yourself uh, are still learning, and all of it I'm still learning. I don't get up here and speak from the place of, of a finished uh, understanding. It's, it's a process, but there's some things that you talk about that you don't necessarily know if it's percolated enough in you to talk about yet but you also feel like you got to talk about it because that's what you're supposed to talk about. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. Um, And so this is one of those mornings. And so all this week as I was working on the message, uh, again, we're on a a series on the kingdom of God, um, I had written out or kind of outlined what I wanted to talk about several months ago uh, before I left in in July. And... um, And I was looking forward to August because there were were four things, four messages that were in August, and each one of them I was really excited about, uh, but not all of them am I fully confident in. And so this is one of those messages. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God as, as Paul essentially puts it, that is a realm beyond the realm that we live in. We are very. Aware and at home in the tangible and the physical. But the kingdom of God transcends the physical. And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because, again, most of us don't think along those lines. Um, And that's not to say the kingdom of God is not tangible and not physical because it's both. It's both and. In the same way, we keep coming back to Jesus. Somebody said once that Jesus is perfect theology. So Jesus... The embodiment of God in human flesh brings the physical and the spiritual into, into perfect unity and perfect harmony. And at some point, it's God's desire that all things will be united in that way on heaven and on earth, heaven in the spiritual realm, earth being the physical realm, united into one place. And so Jesus is the example of what all things will end up like some, at some point, someday, when Christ returns. But in the meantime, we as human beings are invited to live into that reality, into that truth the best that we can, if that makes sense. Are you tracking with me? Okay. All right. Uh, And like I shared last time, as as we talked about parables and the kingdom of God, one of the best things to introduce harder concepts, especially concepts that we're not uh, at home with, is through stories or parables. And so this morning, um, I asked somebody to share their story about engaging in what I'll call this morning the unseen realm. Somebody put a a book on my desk probably six months ago. And um, I have a lot of people that come to me and say, you need to read this book, you need to read this book. If you want me to read a book, buy it and put it on my desk. Okay? Because there's there's a a long line of books ahead of that book. And I picked this book up and it's rocked my world. At such a crucial time in my own journey, but also in the journey of Washington Church. And so if if there's enough time, I'll share a little bit from the excerpts of the author. But essentially what he's trying to communicate in the premise of the book is that there is a whole world beyond this world that exists right amongst us that we fail to see. And so what Jesus says when he says the kingdom of God is at hand in Mark 1.15, but there's this realization that it is not fully fulfilled yet. Because when it is, we will all see it and understand it, whether you have a relationship with Jesus or not, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Um, and that's why Jesus can say, it's, it's this ongoing movement that is here, but it's not fully here. But here's the catch. And this is the challenge for us, and this is what Lisa's going to talk about and share about in her testimony. It is part of our role and our responsibility to manifest that kingdom on earth, to draw on the spiritual, and make it reality here. That's what God wants for us as followers of Jesus. And that's what we've been commissioned to do. Now, that sounds like a daunting task, and we we say to ourselves, how do we do that? What does that look like? How do we enter into that? Those are the questions we should be asking and should be wrestling with. But in no means do I want you to leave here not understanding that what you speak out loud what you sing, what we sang in worship. They aren't just words that come out and fade, they have eternal significance to them. And you, as an eternal being with a soul, what you do matters. And it has an impact in this world, in the tangible, but it also has an impact in the spiritual world as well. All right? So, would you join me in welcoming Lisa Smith to come up here and share her story? So Lisa, um, gosh, I can't remember what day of the week it happened, but when you, I got this phone call from her, I think she texted me and she said, can you, can you talk for a minute? And, and uh, I think I was, I was in the library at the time, I spend my mornings over in the library, and I usually don't answer the phone, and I don't respond to text messages, unless it's something urgent. And um, it seemed to be something urgent. So I said, I was in between kind of a break working on this. I shifted gears, was going to work on that. I said, yeah, I got a couple minutes. So I called her back and, um, and I just sat there and listened. And I was just floored by this story that she told me um, of her own wrestling and, and in obedience to the movement of the spirit of God in her life um, in all places in Menards, right? <laughs> this is where God moves in Menards because God moves everywhere um, but why don't you share your story of, of kind of set the scene and what took place and and then we'll kind of get into okay. what that looks like and, and how that happened
1: sure. man it's so different up here <laughs> sitting over there is okay so um, I just want to thank you first of all for picking up the phone and and taking that call because I was so excited and I, I had all these emotions going on so Um, so we, um, were on our way to our son's house and they were not home yet. And so, um, they told us to meet, we had some time. So Ryer said, Hey, let's go to Menards. We, so we went to Menards. So knowing that we only had a little bit of time, he said, I'm going to go pick up what we need and you can go this way into the garden. Um, and so we split up in two different ways. And, So he went to the left, I went to the right, going um, back out into the garden, and this lady passed me, and as soon as she passed me, there was not a lot of people, but she literally, I just stopped in my tracks. I felt this, and I didn't know what it was, so a lot of this has been like just little pieces trying to put it together quickly, but as soon as I went past her, I felt this overwhelming sadness. And, and I just, I kind of stopped, and I said, what was that? And I heard God say, go pray for her. She's hurting. Hmm. And I went, I don't know her. <laughs> and I saw her walk by, and then he said, Lisa, she's hurting, and she's lost somebody. Go pray for her. But it was instant. Like, I asked, and he answered me. And I was still, but this overwhelming sadness is what got my attention, And so I kind of stopped, and I, so I kind of looked, and I, you know, I saw her going down the aisle, and then I kind of missed her, and so there I am stalking this lady in in Menards, and I'm like kind of trying to find her, and I see her. She's in aisle 12, but there's lots of carts coming, so she is pinned up against kind of the wall and looking at something, and all of these carts are coming through, so there's no way, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, maybe I missed Mistaked or maybe, I, you know, maybe I shouldn't do this and it's kind of awkward and I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to coach myself out of it. Um, then Ryer comes up behind me and he says, hey, are you ready? And I'm like, yes. Yes, I'm ready. ready to yeah, check out, I'm ready, ready to lead. check out. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't tell him what's going on because I'm still processing it because it, it was so overwhelming. And I walked up and as I'm walking up. I started to say something to him, and I felt this, the overwhelming sadness again was even, it was three times worse. Mm. And I just couldn't get her out of my head, and I thought, I said, I'll be right back. He goes, Lisa, we're in line. I said, I'll be right back. And I never told him. So he's standing there, you know, half in line, half not in line. So I, I go up to this lady, and I looked at her, and I just said, hi. <laughs> and she said, hi. Hi. And she looked at me she kind of cocked her head and i said we don't know each other and she goes i said i know this is going to sound very crazy to you but i feel like god asked me to come over here and pray with you and she looked at me and her eyes it's gonna be hard to tell this story um welted up and she kind of looked at me and i said and before you say anything i said i feel like god told me that you lost somebody and that you're you're hurting And he asked me to pray for you. And she looked at me. She said, how in the world would you know that? And I said, I don't. Mm. I said, when you walked by, I felt this sadness. And I, I can't explain it. I just, I'm trying to be obedient. And she looked at me and she just started crying. And she said, I just, I lost my son. He, I lost my, what she says, I lost my son. He was 26 years old. And I said, I am so sorry. And I said, my name's Lisa. (laughs) And she said, I'm Bonnie. I said, it's nice to meet you, Bonnie. And I said, what was your son's name? She said, it was Corey. And as soon as she said his name was Corey, I heard God say, but it was so prevalent to me. He said it was a suicide. And so I just said to her, I said, may I pray with you? And she said absolutely and so then she stopped me before I, I prayed she said I don't understand how you knew that and I said all I can tell you is that God has heard your prayers he has captured every one of your tears and he's asked me to come pray with you today and so there we were in aisle 12 <laughs> praying and um, and I just I assured her that I would be praying for her and um, so as I walked away, I walked up to my husband, and I, I was trying to tell him what happened, and then I got so excited that I was right. I was like, I, I felt like I was so excited that I, I, that I listened and that he, you know, that I was right. I, was, I can't even begin to tell you how awesome that was. So a few weeks later, I was meeting with, um, we have a fundraiser coming up, and so the woman that's involved with it, I, you know, we went to lunch, and I said to her, I gotta tell you this story and I don't even know, we don't really talk about God or church or anything, she's an acquaintance and I just, so we had the conversation and I was talking with her about what happened and I said, and it was so awkward for me because I didn't know should I I do this or not but I just plowed through and I just, I did it and I was telling her that her name was Bonnie and her son's name was Corey and she looked at me and she said, what did you say? And I, and I told her, and she said, she said, Lisa, that is so crazy. I said, w- what's wrong? And she said, that's my neighbor. Hmm. My neighbor's name is Bonnie, and she lost her son to suicide. Hmm. And he was 26 years old. Yeah.
0: So- and you were, you were saying that this woman... Wasn't necessarily a person who's a believer or passionate about her faith who you were having lunch with. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and she was very open to talk about it, but um, it was it was just so amazing. Um, I think to hear to hear God's voice, and I was so honored that He chose me. Yeah. I was so honored, and I think that's one of the reasons that I've. I um, found the courage to go up to her because I wanted to know, is it me being yeah. Lisa <laughs> yeah, yeah. or was it God? And so yeah. I can't even begin to tell you um, what it's like to be used um, in such a way. But this woman, um, what I was able to do for her and for me um, was just amazing that that not only did God use me, but I, I found the courage to be obedient. But this woman needed to know that God loved her. And I told her that God loves you. He hears yeah. your prayers, and he, he knows you're hurting. Yeah. And um, so that's why I had to share that with you. I needed, I, it's, um, I think, validation, you know, from your pastor. <laughs> but, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's was an awesome story. Thank you. Thank you for being yeah. willing to share it this yeah. morning. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, grab your Bibles. Turn to the book of Romans. Chapter 14. Jimbo, would you hand me that stand, please? Thank you, sir. This is what Paul says uh, in the book of Romans. And what I want to do is, I want to just talk to you for a little bit about this unseen realm, um, and then what I what I I'm going to try as best I can to keep coming back to Lisa's story because I think it's so prevalent to what I want to communicate. And then, no matter what's going on at a certain time, I'm going to stop um, because I want us to just not talk about this but to live into it. Um, and so I'm going to ask the prayer team to get back up, and we're going to sing one more song. And uh, I'm going to invite you to, to receive prayer um, and even to pray with one another this morning. Because um, again, what I want us to understand is these things matter. These things have eternal consequences and significance. And we need to begin to shift our brains in that way. What I'd love to see, and I've, I've been saying this to our staff and I, I want to keep putting it before you, is that we need to begin as followers of Jesus to think, Approach life spiritually first and physically second, if that makes sense. What's that, what does that mean? When I come across a hardship or a struggle, my first instinct is not to pick up the phone and call somebody to help me through it, it's to get down on my knees and talk to the Lord about it. When something happens to my child, and my first instinct is not to pick up the phone and call 911, but it's to, to get on my knees and say, Lord, do something here. Act here. Because I believe you can. Um, it's it's, it's a, an invitation to reorient our way of thinking. And this is why Jesus says what he says when he, when he says the word repent. Because that's what repent means. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Change the way you think and see and understand the reality that you live in. So that you begin to live into the reality that I'm bringing into this world. Is essentially what Jesus is saying to his people. So this is what Paul says. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This passage comes, chapter 14 is a dialogue in which Paul's writing to the church in Rome who's wrestling with figuring out what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus with Gentiles and with Jews. See, before this, it was just about the Jews, God's chosen people. And then the the gospel spread like wildfire, like we, we talked about last week, like the mustard seed. And it went to the, to, to the Gentiles, to everybody else. But the Gentiles didn't observe the customs of the Jews. And so the Jews struggled with that. Are they in? Are they out? Are they okay? Are they not okay based on what they eat and, and, and what they do and how they live their lives? And Paul was, was trying to wrestle with them through that. And, and this chapter is about what you eat and what you don't eat. And is it okay? Is it not okay? And eventually he gets to this point where he says, look, guys... The kingdom of God is not what you eat and what you drink. And I think what he's saying is it's, it's not just this physical thing that you're wrestling with. You're looking at what's in front of you. What's in front of you is physical. That's not all there is to this. I don't th- think Paul is saying that it's not physical. I think he's saying there's so much more than just the physical. Does that make sense? And then he goes on to give these descriptions. He says it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Let me share just some some excerpts from this book, The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. And and again, the whole preface of this book is that he is trying to get the reader to understand there is so much going on in the kingdom around us, in the heavenly realms. We just sang about a song about falling down and the angels worshiping the Lord. That's going 24-7 all the time. And I've talked to people that have been drawn up into that space and, and experienced it in some mystical way. But, to, but we live our lives oblivious to that. We don't think about that. That's certainly not right in front of us. And I think that needs to change. That needs to shift. But this is what Heiser says. He says this. We interpret the Bible based on Christian history, creeds, confessions, denominational preferences instead of the context of the biblical authors and how they understood the text. We talk about things like angelic movements, spirit prompting, healing people, but we think we're not sure about those things. And, these, and he's talking to a Christian audience. He says, the writers of the Scriptures would never have seen or understood the Scriptures outside of the spiritual or the miraculous realm. So like if, if Peter were here today or Paul was hanging out with us, and, we were, and he heard Lisa's story, he's, he'd be like, yeah, of course. That's what it's like. And he'd probably tell us thousands of stories of, of his journey through the different places he went and the different areas he went. And he'd say, why aren't you all doing that? Let's divide up the city. You go to Target, you go to Starbucks, and you wait for the Lord to speak to you, and he'll tell you what to do there. But we look at Lisa's story and we think, Some of us are thinking, I'm not sure about that. Others are thinking, wow, that's amazing. And yet others are thinking, when's my turn? Let's go. Come on, Jesus, let's go hang out. Holy Spirit, direct me anytime you want. And others are thinking, I'm not sure if God can use me in that way. And and all of those are are relative valid ways of, of seeing the story. But what we we need to see is is there's an invitation for all of us to begin to listen to the movement of God in us, because God wants to use us to bring His kingdom here. Number two, we have become desensitized to the vitality and theological importance of the unseen realm. Many Christians claim to believe in supernatural movements of God, but think and live like skeptics, because we find the unseen realm uncomfortable, and we are not able to make sense of what is not tangible or quantifiable. Over time, it has widely degenerated into a closed-minded overreaction that is itself detached from the worldview of the biblical writers. Number three, the believing church is bending under the weight of its own rationalism, a modern worldview that would be foreign to the biblical writers. Our goal has become to provide the most ordinary, comfortable interpretation possible of the scriptures to make us feel okay. And not so burdened or, or put out of place. And he would go on to st- say, we stay away from the hard scripture passages because we don't know what to do with them. They don't make sense in our rational minds. And finally, he says, the core doctrines of the scriptures are themselves neither ordinary nor comfortable. A comfortable fit with empirical rationalism. And I can tell you that I started keeping track of a list of stories that people would tell me much, much like Lisa's stories, and probably over the last two years, I've got a, a list of, of people's stories and their names, and, and I just sit with them, and some of them I, I just rejoice in, and some of them I struggle with because I don't know what to do with them. And I'll give you some examples of those, because again, I want us to begin to think spiritually in this unseen realm. Two people that, uh, one person who, who spoke at Washington for the first time Um. I don't know how many months ago, several months ago, uh, before she got up to speak, probably three days before she got up to speak, she got a paper cut. That paper cut turned septic, paper cut. And through prayer, through reaching out for prayer and praying with her husband, she was healed of that on Saturday evening before the Sunday morning she she was going to speak. We can look at that and say it's a paper cut that happens I can bring doctors up here and tell you what the body does and and this and that, but I can also tell you, I wonder if somebody else didn't want her to do what she was going to do. There was somebody else who came and spoke at our our encounter night on on a Sunday night, and I would encourage you to come next week. Rebecca's coming. She's amazing. It's, It's a powerful space. Sunday evenings at 5.30, the third Sundays of the month. And this man spoke. He did a great job. He, he spoke really powerfully over. He brought his family and they prophesied over people. I got a call from him two days later saying that not only was he sick, but that the right side of his body, he couldn't move, became paralyzed. And was, it was then in a wheelchair for a month. He went to the doctor. The doctor said, I have no idea what's wrong with you. None of this makes sense. And he reached out to me. He said, I want you to know that this is happening. And, you know, when somebody called, this is another, I picked up the phone in the the library because it was, I knew who it was. And he says, I just need you to know, Jimmy, that this is what's happening to me. And you're like, you know, I'm feeling bad because he just came and spoke and now this has happened to him. And what's like, what am I supposed to do in response to that? You're welcome. Um, And he says, I want you to know this because the enemy doesn't want these things to happen. And that's why this is happening to me. He said, I know exactly what's going on. My wife wants me to go to the doctor, and so I'm going to the doctor, but I know exactly what's happening here. This is spiritual warfare at work. And eventually, he's, he's out of the wheelchair, and, and he's experienced healing and, and breakthrough, but not, but not in full. So there, there are these things that are going on. I, I, received, I probably talked to five different people. In March, we had a, a, a spiritual gift class here, and it was powerful. God moved in, in just unbelievable ways. The Spirit of God was, was on display in many ways. Uh, subsequent to that class, I've sat with, with at least five people who've been in my office and said to me, since attending this class, strange things have begun to happen in my life. Not good things. Things that have discouraged me from wanting to come, keep coming to your class. But I knew I had to keep coming because I knew that I needed to be there. And not all those things are, have been resolved, but again, we live in a world where all around us the kingdom of God is present, but there's other kingdoms that are present as well, in, in, locked in, in war. And we live the day-to-day. We live, what Paul says, with food and drink. Jesus says this in Matthew six thirty three: seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Why does Jesus say... When we're seeking the kingdom, we also have to highlight righteousness. Isn't righteousness a part of the kingdom of God? Yes, it is. But why does Jesus pull righteousness out and say, hey, pay attention to this? And then Paul says, obviously, the kingdom of God is is not this tangible food and drink, not exclusively tangible, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what is righteousness? And why does Jesus tell us we need to seek first this righteousness? Seek the kingdom, but also righteousness. Here's why. We don't naturally seek righteousness. Because of the fallen nature, because of the sinful world, we're not capable of doing that. Because of what Jesus does for us to make us right with God, we we now shift in our position from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. And because of that, we now have the capacity to pursue and seek after righteousness. Does that make sense? Okay? So, seek righteousness, he says. Joy, we long for, we want in our lives, naturally. Peace, we long for, we want in our lives. But righteousness is beyond us, transcends us. What is righteousness? Okay? Righteousness is a legal term. Righteousness means, based on the one who judges you, you are in right standing, you' are no longer guilty, or the guilt has been dismissed or passed over for some reason. I've stood a, a handful of times with people in courtrooms before judges. There's many times where I should have been standing in courtrooms before judges, but I never got caught or I was let go. So I know what it's like to potentially stand there. So I was standing uh, on one occasion with, with this young boy from my, a young man from my neighborhood. And he had, he had done something he shouldn't have done, and I wanted to go and be there with him. And so I stood before him in downtown Toledo, and I can tell you, I, that day, spent the morning, as I do every morning, saying, Lord, forgive me. So I was good. I felt guilty as all get out, just standing in a courtroom before a judge. Even though it wasn't me, I was just standing next to my friend. So there's something about that. And, and at the end of the day, we will all be judged, For our actions, for our lives, but here's what happens. Because of what Christ did for us, dying on the cross, we are made right in God's sight. When we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are set right, and in that moment, God sees us in the same way that He sees His Son Jesus. That's righteousness. So there's there's a form of righteousness that we need to get to that is in right standing with God. That's part one. Part two, then, is because of that right standing, we have an obligation to live out righteousness in our daily lives, in the actions, in our words, in our deeds. Two separate things, but both interconnected. I think that's what Paul is getting at, and that's what Jesus is getting at when he talks about righteousness and connection to the kingdom of God. So we are made right, yes, and that's what the kingdom of God is doing. When the kingdom of God is present, people are coming to the Lord. But when the kingdom of God is also present, those who have a relationship with Jesus are living out righteousness in their daily lives with their actions and their deeds. Okay, Romans 6, 8, Paul says this, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So we've been shifted and we have to learn to live from that place. Malachi talks about righteousness being a sign of the messianic realm and the messianic age to come. Uh, you can read it on your own, Malachi 3 and then Malachi 4. He talks about righteousness over and over again, but it's a symbol of the mes- presence of the Messiah here on earth is righteousness. So you see this strand between Malachi, who's making this proclamation, what Jesus says, and then what Paul says about righteousness. But 2 Corinthians 5.21, this, this is a verse, one of those verses that blows my mind. It says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of the work that Jesus did on the cross to set us right before the judge, we are no longer condemned. Jesus took that on for us. Because of that, we live in response to that and our response is is to live out righteousness. And as we do that, our righteousness on display for the world is God displaying himself to the world. So as we live out our lives, God is basically saying to the world, that's what I'm like. That's why Jesus says, you give to somebody who's thirsty, you give them something to drink. If they don't have clothes, you give them something clothes to wear. If they're in jail, you go visit them. And on and on and on. The things that we do are manifestations of God's presence here in this world, and they're called acts of righteousness. But God wants to display himself, and he does it through us, our people. In doing so, the spiritual world is coming into the physical world, and they're becoming unified in that way. So righteousness is the first thing. Peace is the second thing that Paul says. And peace, again, I've said this so many times, the word shalom is not what we think of peace. We think of peace as the absence of war. According to the scriptures, that's not what peace means. Peace is things united and whole the way God intended them to be. So if there's something not right with us, we are not in peace. We're not whole completely. We might be in part, but we're not whole completely. So the Father offers healing to this world through a relationship with God for our soul and our spirit, but also for our body that's subject to sin. God wants to heal our bodies. God wants to heal our minds. God wants a whole person. He wants his children to be well in the same way that we as parents want our children to be whole and well. That's what God's heart is. This word sozo comes up. We translate it often as salvation, but it also means to heal. Romans ten nine: If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved or you will be healed. To be saved is to be healed. And as we are saved, we have access to healing, the power of God on display. What Lisa did in that moment in Menards was bring about healing in that woman's life. Do you see the connection there? But the way God did it is he used a person to manifest his presence in the form of healing to this woman who had lost her son. Now, what if Lisa didn't respond? What if she kept pushing it away? Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I can tell you stories upon stories of feeling prompted by the Holy Spirit and just saying, that's too awkward, that's too hard, I don't know what to do with that. And I can tell you this, the longer you wait to respond, the more excuses will come. And the more excuses that will come, the quicker you'll find yourself out of that space. But here's how you know. This is my experience. I don't know if it's yours, but I I think that this is how the Spirit moves. If you say no, and that doesn't go away, you know it's God. So if if you feel a prompting, and you're not sure about it, and, and you ignore it, and you go on with your day, and it never comes back again, again, my experience is if I say no to that prompting, it haunts me. Why? Because it's disobedience. Because it's sin. And sin haunts us, and the Spirit convicts us of sin. That's what happens. What Lisa was asked to do was to be obedient. At first, she pushed back. We go into that rational space, like Heiser says, when it comes to the unseen realm. But when we submit to that, we begin to see the power of God on display through us. That's how God wants to work. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. That's, that's the desire. So we see this word, and I'll give you two examples of it. Um, Matthew nine twenty two, with a woman bleeding for 12 years. Jesus turns to her. He says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you, sozo. Your faith has saved you. Your faith is again, it's an interwoven word that means both and those things. Problem is, the church, probably over the last 500 years, has only looked at salvation exclusively on the soul level of getting me in right relationship with God and keeping me out of hell instead of a holistic view of the person that God wants to heal. Second example is blind Bartimaeus, one of my favorite stories. Mark 10, 52, Jesus says, Go, your faith has healed you or saved you. And with the salvation that Bartimaeus experiences, his eyes are opened and he can see. Joy is the third thing that Paul talks about. Okay? Nehemiah 8:10 says this, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is what is birthed forth in the believer as they come into full realization of who God is and what God has done for them. And actually joy is your birthright as a follower of Jesus. It's not a suggestion. It's not something that someday will come. It is something that you own. Now, we don't always manifest that joy, we don't always live into that joy, and we often confuse happiness with joy, and they're two separate things, but joy belongs to you if you have a relationship with Jesus, regardless of the situation you find yourself in. And I'll give you an example of that. Isaiah 35, 9 and 10 but only the redeemed will walk here. Isaiah is talking about this messianic age and some, at some point God will create a space and a way for the redeemed to walk in a certain way. And then he goes on to say, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. The joy of the Lord belongs to you as a follower of Jesus regardless of where you find yourself. That's where you're supposed to live. And those things are all woven together. Peace and joy and righteousness all overlap each other and all work together to, again, bring heaven to earth. To bring the spiritual into the physical and tangible as you live your life out. I can tell you on the phone in the library as I'm talking to Lisa, I could hear the joy of the Lord in her words as she's sharing this story with me of obedience to the prompting of the Spirit of God in her life. I can see the joy that was manifest in this woman that she got to pray for. And maybe part of the joy was returned to her that she had forgotten about or lost in some way when she lost her son. Because that's what death does to us, especially untimely death, that we have to work our way through. But here's a flip side to this. This whole thing of the kingdom and our understanding of this unseen realm that we're being invited to live into, and we again have to to be aware of this because this also plays a role in the unseen realm. John 10.10 tells us this, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So in that same realm that we're invited into that should be righteousness, peace, and joy, on the flip side, the enemy is here to steal, kill, and destroy. What does steal, kill, and destroy mean? Steal in the Greek means this, to take from another what properly belongs to them. Kill means to slaughter in absolute, or to get rid of. And to destroy means to put out of the way, or to render useless. I believe, and this is Jimmy (coughs) speaking, that steal, kill, and destroy are in direct oppositions to righteousness, peace, and joy. Do you see that? The very thing that God wants us to manifest and to live out and to experience in this life, the enemy wants the opposite of. And especially that last part that really hit me as I, I looked at that word closely, to render useless, to take something away from something that belongs to you. That's exactly what the enemy wants to do. And I think many of us are letting him win in our day-to-day lives, as followers of Jesus. Let me give you an example. When it comes to righteousness, the accuser makes accusations against us, and many of them are deserved. But because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, the accuser cannot change your standing with God that is set and, and is unshakable and immovable. What you received as a gift cannot be taken from you. But here's what the the enemy can do. He can manipulate you into questioning whether or not it's true. How many of you have been in that place before? Probably all of us have been in that place. Thank you for the two that raised your hands. I remember as a young man giving my life to Christ, and I probably did it a hundred times. Why? Because I didn't know for sure. And I wanted to make sure over and over and over again I said the sinner's prayer. Because the enemy made me doubt what had gone on. When you give your life to Christ, we speak these words, but something shifts in our soul and our heart. We're being made new, a new creation. And in the spiritual realm, there's a whole number of things that are taking place that we fail to see. Some people see those things. I was at a conference once with a friend of mine, and I think I've told some of you this story before, and and he said, you got to meet this woman. And I was like, yeah, let's, uh, Sure. So he walks me over and he, he says, this woman sees angels. And I was like, cool. And I'm, I'm walking over thinking, you know, these people are either crazy or they actually are right. And so you got to make a choice. And so I'm walking over and he introduces me to her and he tells me, and he's walking over, he says, every time I come into worship or come into serve, I ask her, how many are here and where are they? And, he, and she points him out. And I was like, well, that's cool. Let's try this. So I walk up to her, and she's one of those women where you're like, you're either deeply connected with the Lord, or you're crazy. It's just one or the other, right? There's no, there's no middle ground. So I walk up, and I introduce myself, and right away, you can feel the presence of the Lord on this woman. And I said, how many angels are in this room? And she goes, she looks around. She goes, there are four, but there used to be five. There's one there. There's one there, there's one there, and there's one there. And that one right there is holding, and like she would describe in great detail what was going on. There was a <clears throat> service here at Washington. <clears throat> I can't remember the date, but there, it, was, it was one of those spaces where you feel the presence of the Lord. And somebody came up to me after that service, and he said, I, and, and that person had gone for prayer. And there was a, a two people, that Carrie and, and Brian Jordan, who prayed for his wife for healing. And he came up to me, he said, as these people were praying for my wife, I saw three angels in the balcony. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, have you ever seen that before? He goes, no. I was like, cool. Why not? We're in a church. That stuff is happening all around us. Some people, God has opened their eyes so they can see it, but the rest of us just kind of go about our day. And some of you are like, I don't know about that. And some of you are like, I'm sitting in the balcony next Sunday. <laughs> if that's where they're at. But this is the journey that we're being invited into. But we have to realize our right standing cannot be affected. But our understanding of righteousness can be manipulated so that we don't live out righteousness. That's what the enemy can do with us. Now, The second thing, peace. The enemy does not want us to experience the peace of God. Does not. Wants to, to remove that from us. And I think oftentimes uh, we experience affliction that's manifest in our physical bodies when we experience spiritual attack. And I'm not saying every time you, you, phys- you have a physical affliction is it a spiritual attack, but I'm also saying that sometimes it could be. And so let us not just dismiss it as not. Let's actually consider that it might be and that we can do something about it. The third thing is joy. Joy. Joy is connected to the soul, I believe, to our mindsets, to our emotions. Okay, that's what the seed of the soul is about. And to steal joy means to attack your self-identity and of God and what God says is true of us. God's word proclaims that you will have joy if you are redeemed. And yet the enemy wants to steal that understanding of your joy and deceive you into thinking that you don't experience joy. So the kingdom of God is very much an unseen realm. But our day to dayness and so much of our time and energy is spent in, this, in what is seen. <clears throat> so my invitation for us this morning as you leave this place is to begin to realize, begin to open ourselves up to the fact that there is, there is a whole kingdom around us, even in this room right now, that we are invited to enter into, to connect with, And that our actions and our deeds and our words actually draw on the spiritual realm and make it reality in the physical realm. That's how God has chosen to show himself to people. And God reaches out and directly touches people. And and I heard a story the other day of that taking place. Yes, but his preference is to use you to bring about his kingdom. That's why we we have a prayer group that meets at 9.30 down the hall in the library. And I can tell you, What happens here at 10 o'clock is directly related to what happens there at 9.30, as they go before the Lord. That's why we put people around the outside during worship, to lay hands on people and to pray for people. Why? Because what they do matters. As they speak, God, it's not because anybody on the prayer team is something special, it's because They're opening themselves up to the movement of God. And when God moves in and through their prayer, things happen. Because when God does things, things happen. And when the Lord touches people, you don't stay the same. And so I want to invite us to have an expectation of the movement of God. That Sunday morning shouldn't just be, we come in, we have our time together, and then we leave. I remember when we we first rolled out our vision statement, we were sitting with the elders, and Mike was was there as our vision coach, and we were in the chapel, and we were having this debrief with the vision team, and one of our elders basically said, if I understand this vision the way I I think I understand this vision, then Sunday mornings will never be the same. And I said, you get it. It's exactly right. You got it. Because we come with this expectation that that we are going to be used by the Lord and that God is going to be here with us. And if God is here with us, we should expect things like what happened in Lisa's life in Menards. Because what happened in that moment is God wanted to bring compassion and healing to his daughter. And he looked around and he said, who can I use in Menards? Oh, there's Lisa and Ryer. Let me use Lisa. Lisa. And God wants to do the exact same thing with us. And to the point where that's normal, where it's no longer this, is this the Lord, where we're questioning things, but it's like, okay, Lord, this, I've, been, I've been working on this in my own life because I've had several times in the last couple of weeks where I've said no, and I didn't do. One was in O'Reilly's. I was in O'Reilly's Auto Parts. And the Lord me, clearly asked me to say something to the woman behind the counter. But my kids were in the car, it was hot, the air conditioning was running. There was a line behind me. I felt bad because I I knew if I asked this question, I have no idea what the Lord's about to do. And it will inconvenience these 10 people behind me because God knows there's not enough people working at O'Reilly's to help everybody. And they're not very quick. I apologize to anyone who's an O'Reilly's employee in this room or watching online. But facts. And so I didn't do it. I reasoned it out. But I left and I knew I was disobedient to what God asked me to do. So I've realized one of the things I need to do is I need to slow down in my life. Anybody with me on that? And I need to create more space in my life so that if God says, Jimmy, I want you to ask this question which will lead to prayer and who else knows what, I've got that space to do that. Or I realize that this is more important than anything else. And my kids are old enough so I can leave them in the car and they'll be just fine. In fact, my daughter could have driven home if if she really had to. Um, And so I need to get over the physical things that I worry about that keep me from listening to the Lord. You get it. I'm finished. But this is the invitation for us. To begin to realize we we live in this unseen realm. Where this unseen realm is present all around us and yet we need to, to shift out of just seeing this world as physical and begin to see it as it is, as God sees it. And when you begin to pray that prayer, when you begin to say, Lord, use me, or Lord, open my eyes, I can tell you this. Buckle up, because he'll answer that prayer. But the challenge becomes, will you be obedient to what happens next? Which is part of the challenge. So let's do this. As, as we close, I want, to, I want to ask the prayer team, again, to, to stand around the outside, if you would. And if you need prayer this morning, because something's going on in your life, or you just need encouragement, or you need validation, or you need whatever it is that you need, out of the amount of people in this room, I can tell you percentage-wise, there's some deep sorrows, there's hurts, there's marriages that are on the fringes, there's sin that needs to be dealt with, you name it. There's healing that needs to take place. And God wants to, to work with you on those things. God wants to bring freedom into your life. God wants to make you whole, but he does it through his people. So it could be the people that are standing around the outside. It could be the person that's sitting right next to you. It could be anybody who's willing to say yes in the same way that Lisa said yes in Menards, to be used by the Lord. And so as we stand and sing, if you need prayer, or on the flip side, if God puts something on your heart to go and do, Maybe he's telling you right now about somebody that needs prayer in this room and he's pointed them out to you. Go and pray with them. Go and pray for them. You don't need to know what to pray for. You don't need to know the answer. The answer usually doesn't come until you arrive, until you're standing in front of that person and saying to them, the Lord brought me here before you and I think I'm supposed to pray with you. I can tell you story after story of people on the prayer team And I've experienced this too myself, where people have walked up to them, not said a word, and they begin to pray for them, and they pray exactly for the thing that that person came to tell them to pray for. But before they could speak, because the person was listening to the movement of the Spirit of God, they were able to pray. I remember one time, this is the last story I'll tell, and then I'll be quiet, and then we can can worship and pray. I went over there to, to Jessica Schmidt, she was standing in the corner, and each time before I get up here to preach, I want to be prayed for. And so I asked the Lord, who do you want me to go and, and have pray for me? I don't just go to a random person. The Lord shows me every time. So I went up to Jessica, and and the prayer team has, has been told to ask, you know, what would you like prayer for? And so she kindly said, you know, Pastor Jimmy, what would you like prayer for? And uh, I said, whatever you think. And she goes, good, because I already know what to pray for you for. And I was like, here we go. And it was unbelievable, so encouraging, so encouraging. And I want each and every one of you to experience that. And really, to be honest with you, it baffles me as to why there's not lines behind each of these people standing up every Sunday. So we need to get to a point as a a body of believers where we get over ourselves, where we stop worrying about what other people are gonna think, where we start trusting that prompting that God is moving in us, and we go. We get out of our seats and we go. And that's one of the reasons why we have you guys stand up so it won't be as awkward for you to get out of your seats. Just a hint at what goes on in the conversations at staff meetings behind the scenes. But it's an invitation to be touched by the Lord. And if you begin to see things in that spiritual realm, in the unseen, and you you actually believe that the words that are spoken over you and the prayers that are prayed for you make a difference, I don't know why there's anybody sitting. Anytime, because it matters what we do matters so let's stand together let's sing one last song and I invite you to go and be prayed for the prayer team will hang out all afternoon won't you prayer team I'll go get pizza for them at Costco and keep feeding them if that's what it takes we'll be here to pray as long as as people need to be prayed for and laid hands on again prayer team's got lanyards on or they should are around the outside of the room as we sing, make your way and let the Lord touch you and encourage you this morning. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.